Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. be with you again to be able to open God's word, the passage that was read, and to my assignment is a a rather short text in the passage that was read in verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Uh, I said to a friend of mine as he was asking me, I pray with him on a weekly basis, he's a missionary in Japan, and he said, well, how's your study going? And I said, well, it's going pretty well, but I'm using some creative imagination, I think. Because when the text is short, you you need to take an approach towards it that would allow us to understand both the intent of the writer, the need of our life, and how we might live in the strength of what Paul is teaching us under the influence or inspiration, direction of God the Holy Spirit. And I do think that there are some great things for us to mine from the scripture that this text teaches us. And We're going to use it, as it were, as a a summary of the things I think Paul has in mind for us, the Spirit of God has in mind for us as we study this together. Because our identity in Christ is rooted on taking the helmet of salvation. Because everyone in Ephesians, in in this section uh, of Scripture, first, uh, pardon me, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17... Every Ephesian to whom this letter is written in Ephesians chapter 6, everyone would know what a Roman soldier looks like. And they would know what a a Roman soldier looks like, not only because he's wearing a, a lot of armor, but he's wearing something in particular which is called the helmet. And you could see him at a distance. Helmets were worn often on parade because they were heavy and awkward and difficulty, or essentially in battle because they did protect the head. And that is a, a, a place that we could go. We could simply say, yes, the helmet is a, a means of protecting the brain, of protecting the, the center of your thinking and your focus, which is a reasonable application of this passage. But what I want to suggest to you is that I think Paul has in mind something that includes that but is, is greater than that. And in Ephesians chapter 6, when you take up the helmet, I want to suggest to you that it has two purposes, because the Roman helmet, which was called a galea, had two purposes, the protection which I've mentioned, but what I first describe to you is the identity of the person who is wearing it. You know, immediately when you saw a Roman soldier with his helmet and maybe with a plume or feathers or some other attachment on the top, you knew immediately that this was a man under the authority of the whole Roman Empire. He represented the empire. He defended its law. He went to battle under its banner. He belonged to the empire. When you wear the helmet of salvation, you are declaring to yourself and others who meet you, I am under the authority of Jesus. That's your identity. You belong to him. You know what it is he's done for you. And you rest in that. 
So I want to suggest to you that we can easily understand how the helmet is protection. But I want to suggest to you that in the mind of the Lord under his spirit, he's really talking to us about who are you? Who do you represent? What is your identity? And how have you taken your identity with such firmness and understanding and maturity that you know you stand under the authority of heaven? You're his. Now just think about that. Here within this gathering or you at home, what does it mean for you to know that you live under the authority of heaven? That when you take up the, uh, the helmet of salvation, you're not fabricating the helmet. It's not dependent upon you in any sense. But rather what Paul has in mind that you are taking on this authority because the gift of salvation is yours and you're seizing it, you're applying it, you're living it out, you're growing in it, you're living under the authority of heaven. And everyone who meets you will go, there's something about that person. They might not identify it because they may not be familiar with it. Just as someone, you, could you imagine, who was living under a rock in the days of Rome and had never seen a, a Roman soldier before and suddenly sees him from the first, well, who is this person? Wh what is it that he's wearing? Wh why is he looking this way? You could imagine someone with amnesia that wakes up and has never met a soldier before. You know what I'm saying is everyone in Rome would have met a Roman soldier. Anyone under the empire would have understood their power and influence and authority. You didn't resist them. You did what they said or it was off with your head. Uh, they took no prisoners if they didn't need to. Although the enslaved populations, what I'm saying is, they were powerful under the authority of Rome, and they positioned themselves as the law that no one resisted. It brought peace, but at a great price. You understand what I'm saying. So what is it that Paul has in mind? Well, he has in mind that a Roman soldier dressed for battle and knew two things. He knew who he was, and he knew who he was fighting. He knew who he was and he knew who was opposed to him. He knew who he was and he knew his enemies. He understood his authority and he understood those who resisted the authority under which he served. I want to suggest that Paul is instructing us in this passage to take up the helmet declaring these same two things. Who are you in Christ? What is the authority that's governing your life? And how is it that you are standing as a soldier of Christ against what? Wickedness and evil and those who resist his kingdom, his grace, his mercy, his truth, his presence. Now, I want to suggest as we go into this, which believers is Paul telling to take up the helmet of salvation? Is he, is he talking, Pastor Ronald, please, as our leader, wear the helmet. You wear the helmet on our behalf. Is that what Paul is saying? Is he addressing this to leaders? I mean, you know the passage you've been listening week for week. Or maybe he's saying, okay, those of you who represent the church and are up on the platform, please wear your helmet. Or is he saying, those of you who are elders and deacons and leaders and teachers, please wear the helmet? You know, I'm being a little sort of over the top, you're a little pedantic, right? I'm, I'm laying it out in front of you. I'm wanting you to follow because that is not Paul's intent at all. What he is saying is every individual who has received the grace of Jesus believed in what he has accomplished for, please wear your helmet. 
Be under his authority. Dress under his command. Follow him into life. Be under his authority. Know who you represent. Be in his strength. Not only is Paul appealing to us to be protected, he's actually saying to us, in my opinion, be on the offensive. Represent as the ambassador. Represent as the follower of Jesus, the authority of heaven showcased and demonstrated in your life, your actions, your behaviors. So when people see you in all of those avenues of your life where you live, work, play, and learn, they would see someone under the authority of Jesus. It's for everyone. Now, you might say, no, well, not really. I mean, think about this logically. We wouldn't send a child into battle. Children don't have to wear the helmet, right? Well, if you don't want them to be protected on the one hand, that's true. And if you don't want them to be identified with the authority of heaven, that would be true. What I'm suggesting to you is if we bring only logic to the understanding of the passage, we'll miss the encompassing nature of what God has gifted us with. And let me remind you that it applies to everyone regardless of their age and of their gender. All of us have the helmet. It's not only men who wear the helmet in the scripture. It's every follower and believer of Jesus. Women are not excluded from the protection of God or the authority of heaven. Think about it, folks. It's for all of us. And if you want to argue about children, you do know that Samuel was just a little lad when he was serving in the temple. And under the authority of heaven, he heard the voice of God wake him as a little four-year-old approximately saying, Samuel, Samuel. And he thought it was what? Eli. Uh, because he hadn't heard the voice of God before. He was unfamiliar. And he woke up Eli several times. And Eli was a little tired of it, maybe. And maybe he went something's afoot. This is not a boy given to a wild imagination. He said, you need to say to the voice, here I am, speak, Lord. He does, and from that day forward, what was Samuel? A prophet of God, called as a little child. Do you think Samuel, from that point on, was wearing the helmet? I'm convinced he was. He was under the authority of God. He was listening to the voice of God. And what God said to him, he spoke, even though it was hard to speak. He said to Eli, this is what God told me. You're not long for the world. Judgment is coming. Wow. A little one. Hearing the voice of God and announcing the authority of heaven. This is what God said. I need to remind you, David was only a shepherd, a youth, when he went against the armies of the Philistines because there was no soldier willing to face him. He was just a youth. Yeah, now, surely he had already killed a lion and a bear by his own witness. But what did he go against this great giant with? Nothing but the shepherd's tool, a sling made of leather and some smooth stones from the valley floor. I've been where he was. I can't imagine what that day was. Well, no, I can't imagine what that day was like. And he went in the boldness and the authority of heaven, and he slayed the giant. A man who would be appointed as a youth to be the king of Israel was already under the authority of heaven and won that decisive victory. And can I remind you, unless you're thinking, oh, well, that's very good for the young, but what about us who are gray-haired? You're not exempted. I want to tell you that Moses was 80 
when he began to lead Israel. Pastor, you may have reached that golden age as I have, but you're not off the hook. Do you know what I'm saying? You're under the authority of heaven and you serve where he places you because you know who you are in Christ. That's the helmet of salvation. So Paul is wanting us to dip into the truth of God's word. He he wants us to apply it in life. So what does it mean for us to put on the helmet of salvation? Some of you might be saying, well, how do I actually do that? I'm glad you asked because I have something I want you to understand. I want you to know that this is a, a place that we can go and we can mine the scriptures to good effect in our life. A practical tool to discover identity in the Bible, I want to give you an illustration. I'm going to give you what I hope is a helpful assignment. And I hope some of you who are either making notes on your phone or a tablet or by the old-fashioned way with a stick on paper are going to understand some principles. If you go through the book of Ephesians, and I would highly recommend that you, that you do this, that you go through the book from chapter 1 through to the end of chapter 6, and, and you review who it is you are in Ephesians, because Paul is landing on this throughout the entire book. And go through the book in chapter by chapter as you read it, write down each phrase or word that is speaking to you about who you are in Christ. It's a tremendous exercise because what is true for every believer is not because it's true for you and you want it to be true. It is true for you because God has made it so. It's not what you want to make happen. It is what he's declared has happened. It's your identity. It's not something you fabricate through imagination. It's something that you possess and receive by the truth of God's word, illumined by his spirit. And you reflect on its significance after you've given thanks to God for it. You receive that and say, God, this is amazing. I'm so glad I'm remembering this if you've learned it before. Or I'm understanding this and what is its impact and power in my life now? You can see how powerful this will be in your own devotional life. Because in summary, you are enjoying the power of your identity. You're enjoying the position that your identity gives you. You're enjoying all the benefit that your identity brings to you. And you're discovering in Christ who you really are. So, so here's a summary, maybe on this slide, right, the practical tool that read God's word, discover your identity. Uh, I'm telling you to write it down. Because here's the point. If you have a million dollars and you don't know it, what benefit is the money? Well, it's of no benefit at all. You don't know where it's stored. You don't know how to access it. You, you don't know the difference it would make in your life. You don't know anything about it because you don't know you have it. But when you found you have it, Your life changes because you have resources you didn't know were yours. That's the helmet of salvation. It's possible that you're wearing it and not really understanding all that it means for you. All that Christ has done for you. And you've not actually taken those things into yourself and received their benefits. So when it says, take the helmet of salvation, Paul is saying, here's what your activity is. You don't make it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You're not fabricating the armor. But you are now understanding what it is that it will do for you. 
I've just bought a new watch. Uh, I, I fractured my other one. Uh, Donna has already warned me to be careful with this one. Uh, I'll need to buy a new cover for it because these things, you know, aren't cheap. But I don't know everything it does yet. I have a few ideas, but I'm going to spend these next few days sort of really understanding what this watch can do for me because it's a smart watch, probably smarter than the guy who's wearing it on his wrist. Because it has resources I don't need to remember. That's the benefit of the thing. It's going to help me. And it's going to give me some... Uh, what am I saying? I'm using a simple illustration to say, if you have a helmet and you're wearing it, but you don't know what it's doing for you, what good is it? It's of limited good. But when you plumb your salvation, when you know who you are in Christ, it changes the landscape. You have resource and benefit and power and connection, and authority, and significance, and belonging that you might otherwise not fully know. So let me give you just a, 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 cheap, a, a simple example. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, we have the following phrase in the sentence. He, being God, chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. What that means for us, I'm just going to hit... One, one word, we are chosen. Now think about that. Allow your mind to roll down that idea, that street. Because if you realize that you are chosen, you know that God was active in your salvation. He wasn't passive. You see, it wasn't you, although at the time it might felt like this, it wasn't you that were seeking him. All the time, he was seeking you. It's like that poem said, uh, I sought the Lord and afterward I knew he moved my soul to seek him, seeking me. It wasn't I that found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. That's what it means to be chosen. God was actively seeking you before you even knew it. How do we know that? Because it says, even before the foundation of the world, I was in the mind of God. Now, that will blow your mind as you spend some time on it, and it needs to. Because God is bigger than you know, and greater than you understand, and richer in grace than you have yet experienced. Chosen. Not only was God active, but he extended a choice because God wanted something. He wanted you. He wanted me. Heaven was not his design until we as his people were in it. Now let that impact your life. Because that changes you from how you see yourself in your own eyes to how God sees you in his eyes. Do you see the change? The influence, the comfort, the connection. So when you speak with God, you're not bothering him. You're speaking to the one who wants you and chose you. Do you see the difference? Do you see how that influences our view of who God is? Do you see how that connects us to him all that much more personally? Now, let me tell you, if it goes to your head and you act out as a child, thinks he can get away with all kinds of things because he's connected to his dad, 
Well, then there's a rod called discipline that might be active in your life. You understand what I'm saying. Our son, Jonathan, was acting up in a church Don and I were planting at the time in Kamloops. And he was running around, and so one of the men kindly caught him and said, uh, stop doing that. He said, my dad owns this place. And wisely, Ernie said to Jonathan, do you want to go and talk to him now? He said, no. He said, then you slow down. He said, yep. You understand the point. You try and play your privilege, and you discover that there are some limitations and responsibilities that go with it. But what am I saying? Don't lose the joy of your salvation that every child of God is wanted, valued, so let it wash over you and renew your heart and encourage you today. Because when you put on your helmet and you take up your salvation, you are in the first place declaring, wanted by God, chosen in Jesus, loved from the foundation of the earth. I am his. And he is mine. Do you get it? Renew the joy of your salvation by visiting your identity in Christ. The helmet of salvation invites us to do this. Not only are we identified as God's own children, which then protects us from our own failures, but there's so much more in this chapter that will leap up. You are holy. You are blameless, you're predestined, you're adopted, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're seated with the Holy Spirit, you are a part of his body. Do you see all the richness of this? All yours in Christ. And when you take up the helmet of salvation, all of that is in it. But if you don't know it, it's as useful as a million dollars you don't know you have. You understand? So get it. Enjoy it. Revel in it. Now, there's a second aspect of wearing the helmet of salvation. We know our enemies. Not only do we know who we are, but we would know who is against Christ. And right away we would think, oh yeah, that's all those nasty cults. That is not what Paul is referring to. Because earlier in the chapter, he has already told us what the parameters of viewing the world and our enemies are. What is it? We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. That means there's no human that you say you're my enemy. Right? Is that what it means? Well, I'm not saying that there won't be people who are aligned with the enemy but even so, their alignment can be changed. Agreed? They could be in darkness. You were in darkness once. Now, they could come into the light, right? Isn't it true that those who are our enemies could become our brothers and sisters and friends in Christ? You know, that was Paul. That's his story. Because what does he say? I was a persecutor of the church to my shame. I am the worst of all sinners. But grace was given to me in order to demonstrate if grace could be given to me, it could be given to anyone. So we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with those powers that are behind them, influencing them. But friends, this is so important. Your neighbor whose dog does his business on your lawn is not your enemy. He's just undisciplined. Imagining you love his dog as much as he does. 
you understand what I'm saying is we make enemies out of all kinds of things that displease us. But God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whosoever, let's remind ourselves, it's whosoever believes in him. That's the gospel. That's what changed us. That's what will change those who are aligned with darkness. So your enemies are never, never those who, like you, have been born in the image and likeness of God. Because humanity, in all its forms, needs to be seen through this lens of grace in Jesus that leads to salvation. God's divine compassion revealed through the death of Jesus, they can be made worthy of forgiveness. Not only do we need to see all humanity through this lens, in particular, we should preserve the unity of the brothers with real care and attention. Paul speaks about that in in, in Ephesians chapter 3, where Jews and Gentiles are united together and their ethnicity and the wall that is between them has been taken away and there is no longer two but one. It's, It's a powerful passage of the unity of what the church does for us And yet I want to suggest to you, as I'm stating this forcefully, because if ever we begin to see any other as our enemies, then as God's agents, we lose the power of reconciliation. Can you imagine that we fight, alienate, push out other soldiers who, like us, are wearing the same helmet? But you look at the history of the church, the evangelical church across North America, and it's the history of schism. It's the history of of, of separation. It's the history of pushing back because we view them as our what? Enemies. And we vilify them through the things we say about them to our shame. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when he's dealing with a brother that, that, well, actually he's going to get there, but initially he's dealing with a church that is full of divisions. And this is what he writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, brothers, What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What is he saying? There is no one but Jesus, and there is more that unites us than should ever divide us, right? But it's difficult. Now, you can't make someone who wants to divide stay with you. You can't. It's living at peace insofar as it's possible with you. But let's be those who decide not to push others out, but to treat them with the same patience that God has treated us with patience. You understand my appeal here, that in Christ we be very careful how we view those who don't agree with us in every point. I heard a story that illustrates this first by a Nicky Gumbel who founded Alpha and it's brought many people to Jesus around the world and he tells this story and he says it in the first person. I was standing in the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco admiring the view when another tourist walked up alongside me. He was doing the same and I heard him say quietly as he took in the beauty, what an awesome God. I turned to him and said, are you a Christian? 
He said, yes, I'm a Christian. I said, so am I. And we shook hands and I said, are you a liberal or a fundamental Christian? And he said, I am a fundamental Christian. He said, so am I. And we smiled and nodded each other. And I said, are you a covenant or dispensational fundamental Christian? And he said, I'm a dispensational fundamental Christian. I said, so am I. And we tapped each other on the back and I said, are you an early acts, mid acts, or late acts dispensational fundamental Christian? And he said, I'm a mid acts dispensational fundamental Christian. He said, so am I, and we agreed to exchange Christmas cards that very year. And I said, are you an Acts 9 or 13 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian? He said, I'm an Acts 9 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian. I said, so am I, and we hugged each other on the spot right there on the bridge. And I said, are you a pre-trib or a post-trib Acts 9 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian? And he said, I'm a pre-trib Acts 9 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian. I said, so am I, and we agreed to exchange our kids for this summer. And I said, are you a 12 in or 12 out pre-trib Acts 9 mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian? He said, I'm a 12 in pre-trib 9 Acts mid-Acts dispensational fundamental Christian. And I said, you heretic. And I pushed him off the bridge. It is funny. But when there's division in the church, it's no laughing matter. And really, it's often about our preferences and not the essentials of the gospel. And Paul is saying, when you wear the helmet of salvation, your brother is not your enemy. You pray for him. You appeal to him. You maintain unity in Christ. It's a powerful thing when we understand who we are and the responsibility that comes with us to walk in the light as he is in the light. In Christ, there is more than unites us than we can allow to divide us. Keep the main thing the main thing. It's to our hurt and the hurt of the gospel that we willingly divide over anything apart from the foundation of the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's it. The world that God told us to disciple is not our enemy. It's the field. The enemy is always the unseen spiritual adversary who opposes God himself. And our enemy works to discredit the gospel. And if we work as God's openly identified followers marked by the helmet for his glorious salvation, that is what he wants from us. Let's take up our identity, showcase that the gospel of God is indeed the power of God that can put people together who otherwise would fight each other to the death. I mean that. I, I, I know that there are Tamils and Sinhalese in this congregation. I know that there are those of dark skin and light skin in this congregation. I know that we have histories that are atrocious in terms of our experience. But I know in Christ that there is a bond that those experiences fall to their knees because Jesus is our King. He reconciles us. He unites us. And we will not allow anything to divide us because Jesus is our king. You know that. Why am I speaking to you about it? 
because we often use our armor for unintended purposes. You understand what I'm saying? So if you're on the cusp of division, would you swallow that down? If you're ready to battle and you suddenly have heard this morning that you're fighting what you should be loving, and I'm not talking about loving darkness or the deeds of darkness or those that do those deeds, but you're loving the heart and the soul of the one who Jesus died to redeem. Let's keep our priorities where they belong. So friends, as you take up the helmet of salvation, which marks you as Christ's own, I want you to think through the following three statements that I think will encourage you. That's my aim. As one who is taking up their helmet, knowing my identity in Jesus, how does the fact that I am saved from God's wrath help me grow in my assurance and confidence of God's love? Think about that. He will never judge you. He judged Jesus. He will never forsake you. He forsook Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not things present, not things to come, not above the earth, not below the earth, not life nor death, not any created thing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Romans 8, the end of the chapter. Dear friends, if there is something in your life against which you've struggled and failed, do not imagine that God will abandon you. Repent again. Put it to the side. Put on your helmet. Secondly, as one who is taking up their helmet, knowing my identity in Jesus, will I live in peace with others who do not agree in every point of my doctrine? Will I be the first to seek peace? Will I be the first to offer the branch, the olive branch of God's peace and provision? Or will I ruminate? regurgitate the failure, the difficulty, the challenge. When Christ has separated himself from all of my offenses and remembers not a one, has buried them, has left them, will not bring them to my attention. Thirdly, as one who is taking up their helmet of salvation, knowing my identity in Jesus, how does being saved from death Give me hope in this day of COVID uncertainty. Do you see how relevant your helmet is? Do you see how powerful your helmet is? Do you see how it's appointed to affirm your identity that you would faced on the, faced, feast on the truth of who Jesus is, whose authority you are under, and whose work you are commissioned to accomplish. As Jesus said, the fields are white unto harvest. Pray for helmet-wearing soldiers who will join the harvest to redeem the lost in the gospel.
Father, we thank you for this passage. It's been encouraging, challenging, enlightening. We're so grateful that we've been able to reinforce our identity along with your affirmed present protection. There is no power against us that can stand against you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.